morning, everyone. Thank you to our worship team for blessing us with uh, worship this morning. It's been great for me to get a chance to worship with a small crew that is up here. I hope that you're enjoying worshiping from home as well. It is a very hot weekend. It's supposed to be hot for the next several days. Hope you're surviving the heat. All right. That's why I'm wearing the t-shirt today, a home in LA representing, but also staying as cool as possible because we do have the AC run in here, but uh, it is an extremely hot day already uh, outside. This morning, a couple notes. If you want to grab the things for communion, I'll be leading us into communion today. So if you could have those ready for yourself. And secondly, if you could actually get a physical Bible, uh, I'd love for you to have one. So I'll wait for you to do that. Just take your time. Go, go snag a Bible and grab that communion. Also, we'll talk about why that's important in just a little bit. We're continuing our series called Love Is, where we're thinking about different aspects of Christian love and what it looks like for us to love as Christ calls us to and really as the entire Bible calls us to. And you might be familiar with Malcolm Gladwell, who is a fantastic author. I would recommend anything that he has written. He also has a really fascinating podcast called Revisionist History. You should check it out if you haven't. It's one of the best podcasts out there. But he wrote a book called Talking with Strangers, which is really fascinating about how we think that we're better than we actually are at talking with strangers. He said the problem in most of the U.S. today is that we pick whatever tribe that we want to be associated with and we isolate ourselves within that tribe. And so you perhaps think that one side of the political aisle is crazy and then they think that you are and you just isolate yourself more and more instead of talking with strangers. Entering in, having conversations, sometimes learning things about them. He said, one of the things that is most dangerous is that we all think that we're good at this, but in fact, we find ourselves more and more isolated. And he makes a statement which I think is, is interesting. He says, conflict is not conflict. It is misunderstanding. And that's something that I've thought about as I was thinking about this sermon this week. And sometimes I want to say, well, it seems like conflict is just conflict sometimes. But I think he does have a point that a lot of it is because of misunderstanding, because we don't do a good job of stopping, listening, and truly trying to understand the other. We have to slow down and assume that the person that we perhaps think of as different than us, or as the stranger, or as the other, we have to sometimes know that that person is more complex than we might give them credit for. And it gets especially difficult because we judge ourselves by our motives, but we judge other people just by their actions. Sometimes you would perform an action that somebody would say, well, well, why would you even do that? But if you were to explain to them, well, the reason why I did this was this, they probably would understand better. But we judge others by their actions and not their motives. So what does it look like for us to actually talk well with strangers, because Gladwell says that our nation and the sake of the world is at stake. And that, I think, echoes a bit of what we see in Scripture. It sounds a lot like Jesus. How do we love people who aren't like us? I have to tell you, it would be a very boring world if the world was just full of Brian Shackman's. There'd be a lot that is lacking. Fashion sense wouldn't be that great. There would be no fashion shows anymore. Here's a picture of what it might look like uh, as I was 
putting together fashion shows and getting out on the runway. That wouldn't necessarily look all that good. There's not a great abundance of fashion if it's just a world full of Brian Shackmans. And if it's a world just full of you, there would be some things that would be positive about it perhaps, but there'd be a lot of negatives because the world needs other perspectives. And we owe it to ourselves and to others to understand that we all have gifts that the world needs. The Bible teaches us that. In the book of Leviticus, which is a very odd book with a bunch of rules that I think teach this very tribalistic society to learn how to live with each other, there's this very interesting passage in Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is a brand new idea in human history because it's a time and a place where you would get born, and if you were a male, then you would do your father's work and you would stay around where your father was. You would live with your family and your extended family there. If you were a female, then you would get sold into a marriage at some point, which is a whole lot to look forward to maybe. But it was basically you lived around your family and amongst your people. This is a wild idea that if there is a foreigner who comes, and this is a place where food was scarce, where water was scarce, I know that you're worried about taking care of your family and having enough food to be on the table, but if there is a foreigner that is in your midst, take care of that person. Share just as if they were native-born. This is a brand new idea in human history. And let's be honest, have we done that well with this, the way that we're currently living? Do we seek those who are others and strangers and welcome them in and love them as if they were in our family? As Malcolm Gladwell says, I think one of the problems with our world is that we just think that we're better at this than we actually are. We think that we've advanced way past what it used to be in the book of Leviticus. But in reality, we don't do a very good job of really knowing the needs of other people and seeking them out and treating them as if they were members of our family. And I know that it's easy to think, no, 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 well, I'm not like that. Perhaps there are people out there in the world who are like that. But we make snap judgments all the time. We put people into categories. Just think for a minute that it is pre-COVID times and you're going on a Southwest flight, which is the airline I usually travel on, and you're there, and somehow you miraculously made it into group A. So you got to pick your spot pretty early, which is really hard because it seems like group A is all taken up immediately. But you got very lucky, and so you're sitting on that flight, and in walks the mom holding a screaming baby who is already screaming, and the flight hasn't even started yet. Now, Sonia is over here saying, come to me, but... (laughs) I think most of us would say, please choose another seat. You know, that is a a child made the image of God, but I do not necessarily want to spend these next few hours next to this person. This is very risky. Seems like that child is sick. There are things that we think immediately when we see somebody 
Or when we are about to interact with them, we have these lists of things and we think, okay, well, that person is this or that person is that. And in some ways, we can't even get rid of all of these things. Like sometimes they're just a part of our life and we need to acknowledge that we have certain prejudices and things that when somebody walks into them, we think some certain things about them. But that's why we have to always consistently seek to get to know the other. There's a fascinating book that was released a couple years ago by a man named Jaron Lanier. And Lanier is a tech expert. He's done a lot to work with virtual reality. And he actually is a tech optimist. He thinks that technology can be used for the betterment of society. But his book is called 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts. And he lists all of these things. You could check out the book if you want. You could also just Google the 10 arguments and they're pretty well laid out and some things that he thinks are important. And again, he's a tech optimist and thinks that technology is actually going to be a blessing for the world. But he says, be very careful specifically about social media. And one of the points that he makes in the 10 points for why you should delete your accounts is because there are times when you just make snap judgments about people. Like let's say that somebody on your social media feed posts something that is in favor of something that Donald Trump has done. And you see that and you automatically assume like you know 10 or 15 things about them. Okay, well then you supported Trump in this decision that I know these 10 or 15 other things about you. Or you see that somebody has posted excited about Joe Biden and the same goes that you think, okay, well, there are these 10 or 15 things that I already know about you because you have said this or you have done this. And the reality is maybe all those 10 things are true. Maybe it's just a couple. We are easily just putting people into boxes and in places where we don't let them be the complex people, and individuals that they are. It's interesting. I feel like whenever an uh, election comes, I hear friends saying, I'm going to delete my Facebook because Facebook just gets so negative during, uh, whenever there's an election, whenever something's going on, it just gets so negative. And maybe you need to do that. That might be a good idea. Maybe you just need to delete your social media accounts in general. But I find it interesting that people say, oh, it just gets so negative during that season. Well, when is it positive? And yes, perhaps during an election season it gets ratcheted up in politics specifically. But so often there's just things that are negative that are out there that we are just letting ourselves be part of and constantly thinking about. I think human society depends on us being willing to give people who are different than us the benefit of the doubt. To learn a little bit about why it is that they think this way to engage them in love. It's so easy to set everyone else up as like this straw man argument that you're constantly defeating. But people are way more complex than that. If there's someone who is different than you, you're supposed to treat them as if they were your own son or daughter. I know study after study shows that church growth depends on this. That it doesn't matter how great your worship is. It doesn't matter how amazing your preacher looks, which is good news for us. It doesn't matter those things, though they can have a positive impact. But what matters is that week after week during non-COVID times, and I pray to the Lord we will get back together soon, but it matters week after week that you have people who show up and who look first for the visitors, the people who haven't been there before. 
And those people are welcomed like they are part of the family. That is what grows a church. It's about people showing up week after week and saying, yeah, I, I, I love this person and that's great. I'm going to get to see her at the Bible study we have later this week, but I'm going to choose to have my antennas up. Who is it that's not comfortable here? Who's the other in this room? How do I recognize what it is that they need to know or they need to hear? How do I look first for them and then later to my friends? This is a way of life. In the book of 1 John, John the Apostle argues that love is best shown by reaching out to people that we don't know. And John says, you only love God as much as you love other people. You only love God as much as you love other people. The book of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 13, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. You believe that? You believe that as you love a stranger, you can show hospitality to angels? I know people who have experienced the reverse of this. They've told me stories, and these are like very reasonable, logical people. They've told me stories about how they were on the side of the road, and they had a flat tire out in the middle of nowhere, and someone came and helped them go into town, and they got a tire, they brought it back out, helped them put it on their car, and then it's like those people disappear. I've heard these stories from very logical people who say, yeah, there's this time that this person just showed up exactly when I needed him or her, and it was amazing. And in those interactions, whether it's us who go out of our way to help somebody, or sometimes when we experience that help right when we desperately need it, there's something more going on there than we often give credit for. In 1847, the Choctaw Native Indian tribe had just moved in the Trail of Tears, which if you don't know about it, was a very dark time in our nation's history when the Native Indian people were forcefully moved. And the Choctaw tribe had lived around the area of Mississippi and they were moved to Oklahoma. And shortly after this had happened, there was a potato famine in Ireland. And the Choctaw people felt very empathetic towards the Irish people who had lost a lot and who were desperately hungry during that famine. So in 1847, they gathered a collection and they sent $170 to Ireland to help during the potato famine. It's something that the Irish people never forgot. Just recently, the Choctaw tribe had started to have some cases of COVID-19, and there was some worry that it was going to spiral through that community. So a group in Ireland started taking up a collection for them. One of those who gave to that said, I had already known what the Choctaw did back in the potato famine, such a short time after they'd experienced the Trail of Tears. It always struck me for its kindness and generosity. 
And I want the Irish people to be known for the same thing. So we thought it was time to help them out. Irish donors started a GoFundMe for the Choctaw people, and it currently has $5.7 million. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's when people who perhaps don't even know or perhaps never even will meet a group of people give generously. And what's beautiful about it is that generosity breeds generosity. And welcoming strangers breeds welcoming strangers. For this group of people who, again, perhaps they never will even meet, they're giving generously. And it's beautiful because that's what the kingdom of God is like. Because a foreigner is never a stranger. He or she is just a person with the image of God who you don't quite know yet. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and and pick them up for me. There's a great couple stories that come back to back in the Gospel of John, which I think help us to understand this a bit. In John chapter 3, there's this man named Nicodemus who wants to have a conversation with Jesus. And right at the beginning of John chapter 3, it tells us that he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he is a very big deal in his society. He has many leather-bound books. He's a very, very important person. He's at the, the top of the religious circle. He's a member of the ruling council. And so he has a lot to lose if he comes and talks with this upstart religious leader named Jesus. It would be costly for him to be seen having this conversation because he is a member of of this society and this place that it's very important and he needs to uphold the right things and act the right ways. And you don't go and and talk with somebody like Jesus. And Nicodemus' story is actually fascinating as it continues in the Gospel of John, but that's another sermon for another time because he slowly does get transformed until he's willing to be seen supporting Jesus in the light of day. But at the beginning of the story, John tells us that Nicodemus, this very important religious guy, comes to Jesus at night. Because for him to have a conversation with Jesus, other people could talk about it. They could say things. I can't believe he spends time with somebody like that. And this, unfortunately, is what bad religion does. And I'm I'm not talking about the band. What bad, improper religion does does. It separates us from people. It says, I'm not going to engage, and if I have to, I'm going to go at night. I don't want anybody to see this. I don't want anyone to know that I'm having this conversation with this person. You know, he's other than me, and so I'm afraid if other people see, then they might put me in a certain category, so I refuse to go during the light of day. Sure, I'll go because I'm somewhat interested, but I'm going to go at night when people won't know about this. So you have that story in John chapter 3. And then John chapter 4 opens with this story. The reason I wanted you to have a Bible is just to see that it's one story, and then there's a short story that comes in between. But then right next to that, there's this story in John chapter 4 where Jesus interacts with a Samaritan woman. And you aren't supposed to have a conversation with a woman alone. 
And she actually says to him, I'm a Samaritan and you are a Jew. You aren't supposed to talk with me. Samaritans and Jews were enemies. They weren't supposed to have conversations. But Jesus talks with her alone. There was a thought that you shouldn't communicate with a woman that is not your wife because there could be issues that could happen and it obviously takes two to tango, but in that time you just weren't supposed to talk to anyone that wasn't your wife. But Jesus just strikes up a conversation with her. This woman who is very much in the other category. And you see when it happens? It happens at noon. In the light of day, his disciples who've gone into town, when they come back, they're like, hold up, what are you doing talking to her? But something that I love about Jesus is Jesus is just so comfortable in his own skin. He doesn't really care what his disciples are going to think. He doesn't mind that people might talk about this interaction. And in fact, this is a woman who doesn't have the best reputation in town. And Jesus has a, a very intimate really hard conversation with her. He's going to talk about uncomfortable stuff with her. But Jesus is so comfortable in his own skin. He doesn't care about what other people might say about this interaction. He's not going to have the conversation at night when nobody sees because he's worried about it. He's just going to stand there so comfortable in his own skin Addressing this woman who desperately needs to hear a word from God about who it is that she is called to be. Improper religion causes us to build up all of these walls and to go at night or not at all because we don't associate with this kind of person or with like this group. But Jesus is willing to stand there in the light of day. Because that's what our God is like. God stands with us even when we are strangers, when we feel far from God. God continues to seek us, to sit with us, to be on our side. I think of the story near the end of the Gospel of Matthew that have the separation of the sheep and the goats. The goats are the one who have not done the will of God and the sheep are those who have done what God has asked them to do, the righteous ones they're called in this story. This passage says this in Matthew 25, 37 through 40, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king, the God figure will reply, truly I tell you, whenever you did this for one of the least of the brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. When you did this stuff. It was just a part of who you were when you reached out to people. You did it for me. This is so interesting because the righteous people didn't even know that they were doing this for God. They didn't know that it was Jesus who it was 
that they were taking care of. This is a muscle that you have to work out to get good at it. It's a muscle that takes time to say, I choose to look for the outsiders. I choose to think about how I can be a blessing to those who are different than me, who don't look like me. It takes time and practice and effort. So for this group of righteous people, they say, we didn't even know it was you. And Jesus basically is communicating that passage. Yep, that's exactly the point. I'm so proud of our church, as Sonia mentioned, for supporting the Family Promise ministry this week. And it's very unfortunate. One of the things that I enjoy about ministry with Family Promise is getting to sit with the families and get to know their stories. So we don't get a chance to do that in our building. There's a chance that we will never meet those people. But you all, through your generosity, have given them a home and food this week. That's what the kingdom of God is like. G.K. Chesterton has this great quote about Christianity. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. I think that is so true. To be the kind of person who doesn't set up walls, who doesn't create barriers, who is always looking to the outside, looking to the vulnerable, caring more about those who are on the outside than on the inside. Like that is hard to do. It's hard work. But it matters. And if we all did it, wouldn't we make the world a way better place? G.K. Chesterton and some of his other writings, he says, Christianity is true, but it also works. It works on us when we choose to seek the outsider. When we think first of people who are other than us. I showed you that tragic picture of what a world only of Brian Shackman might look like. And I would argue that it would be the same for all of us. We don't want a boring world where only our gifts get used. We want a world that is diverse, flourishing, and where everyone gets to participate and use their gifts. I'm so proud of our church and the ways that we model that. One of the things that's great about our church is that I am able to, and you all, when we gather together, we get a chance to interact with people of all ages. It isn't just like go over here or go over there. We get a chance to truly be friends with people of all ages. Early on in my ministry here, there was a Bible study that I started on Tuesday mornings that was mostly attended by older members because they were retired and able to be there. And it was we had a few guys who were part of it, but mostly it was many old ladies who were part of the ministry here, or senior saints, as you might call them. They were wonderful people, and it's a little bit emotional for me to talk about that Bible study because sadly, many of those ladies have passed on. And we would have it, they would always bring me a sandwich, which was always good except for pimento cheese day. But I ate that one even for the glory of the Lord. I, I ate my way through that pimento cheese um, to take one for the team. It was so wonderful to get to know these ladies as my friends, to hear their perspective, their wisdom, which I desperately needed, to hear their ways of viewing Scripture, the way that their lives had been touched by Jesus. I think of earlier this year, 
when we as a nation were mourning the loss of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. For me, as those events happened, it wasn't just sad because racial injustice exists in our world, though. It was partly that. It was sad because black people are my friends. They're so much a part of my life, and I'm so thankful that I know people of all different backgrounds because of our church. Because we, week to week, come together and we commit ourselves to trying our very best to center ourselves on the love and grace of God. It was so powerful when we had the, the Zoom call where some of our friends of color here shared their stories. And it's so moving because these aren't just people who I see at the gym and say hi to or see in my neighborhood. These are my friends, people who I've shared meals with, who I've shared time with. We need more and more places where we get to know people who are different than us. And where we say, I choose to see you, not just because of one element about you, but I choose to see you as a brother and as a sister because you are a child of God. May we understand that Christian love is about interacting with people who are different than us, learning their stories, and learning to love them just as we would love a brother or a sister. May we pray to interact with strangers this week, to have conversations with the other, because it helps us to realize that God loves us and loved us even when we were other. Remember that passage from Leviticus that we looked at? God says, remember, you were strangers once in Egypt. And may you never forget that. We're going to take communion now. And I think communion is a perfect way for us to end thinking about this because communion recognizes that 2,000 years ago, Christ died on a cross when you weren't even born yet, when you were still a stranger. And Christ chose to die for you and for me. As we take communion, I hope that it is a time where we then realize it isn't just about us in one moment. It's about then who we are called to be in the world. May we recognize that it helps us to remember that it is our job to take care of the foreigner. Because you just don't know when an angel might be in your midst. And if you are living out this kingdom of God principle in your life, it's going to be just such a part of you that you will say, hey, Jesus, we didn't even know that it was you. May that be said of us. We love the outsiders. We give people who appear different at first perhaps the benefit of the doubt. We say we choose to love you because our God has loved us. Let's pray together. God, it's powerful to think about 
members of our church family, and perhaps visitors who we don't even know who are taking communion right now. We wish that we could be together. We wish that we could pass the trays and look at each other. Maybe recognize that church has never closed because your spirit is with us and we are united throughout this service and especially uniquely in this moment because even though we gather in living rooms in different parts of LA and different parts of the world, we are taking this meal together. May we remember that you've called us with your love and that we were once strangers, but you have chosen to draw us to you. Father, thank you for your body and your blood, which helps me to recognize that I am loved by you. May we allow that love to be the center of who we are. Help it to change how then we love others. Father, maybe there's somebody who comes to mind for all of us who needs the benefit of the doubt from us. May we see that person with new eyes because of who you've called us to be. Father, may we always look and have eyes to see those who are uncomfortable in a given moment and to be like Jesus who is willing to engage someone who most in his religious society wouldn't even talk to in the light of day because of who you are. Father, thank you for your forgiveness, which changes us always. Your son, Jesus, in my prayer. Amen.